Hello, this is Deanna Heron, and welcome to the Deanna Heron Podcast Show. This podcast is created for the woman who wants to be bold in who you were created to be, to shine bright with grace. My goal is to empower you to become the greatest version of yourself through interviews with successful women entrepreneurs, through question answer sessions, and tips from myself in my 22 years of leadership and entrepreneurship. So let's dive in to the greatest version of yourself. Hello, everyone. This is Deanna Heron, and welcome to the Deanna Heron Podcast Show. I'm super excited to be with you today. I have a special guest with me and someone who is near and dear to my heart, and I'm so anxious to share him with you. My dear friend, Lance Lang, is with me, and this is going to be a wide-open podcast. I'm just here to tell you. So if your heart is ready to receive, I'm telling you this particular podcast is going to be anointed. And I truly believe that. So if you have not had an opportunity to listen to last week's podcast, go take a listen. I share a very cool story about how my husband and I were able to make the transition to a smaller town and that journey of how God brought us here. And I would love to hear your comments and just hear what you think about that podcast. So let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome, Lance Lang. Hi there. So happy to have you. You guys, this guy has just such a special place in my heart. So I'm going to introduce him formally, but I am also going to share who he is from my heart. But Lance Lance and I were introduced to each other actually through a mutual friend. That's right. My dear friend who, gosh, we have known each other probably 30 years, just kind of mentioned you and your organization and what you have going on. And it really piqued my interest. (laughs) I went to a luncheon, I believe, and met you. And then we had lunch. And Lance, you don't know this. This is something I, I thought about today. But at our lunch, you confirmed that I needed to write a book. So God put it in my heart first and Lance Lang confirmed it. Well, that's great to hear because somebody did that for me, Deanna. Somebody did that for me. And so I love that I was able to do that for you. And we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But the book changed my life. And as I told you last week, I believe that your book that's about to come out will not only change your life, but will go on to change the lives of hundreds of thousands of other people. And I'm believing it, putting it out there right now. Well, that's that's my prayer because definitely that's why I'm writing it for sure is for it to touch many lives. You just shared, Lance is an author. He, I just thought he had authored two books. He's actually authored four. He is the founder and executive director of Hope is Alive. And that is something that you will hear a lot about on this particular podcast, because it is how I got to know Lance, how I became familiar and how our lives have just intermingled, intertwined a little bit. So Lance, I would love for you just to share who you are, what you're about, and just speak from your heart. Well, thank you so much for having me. First off, you're a tremendous friend. You're an inspiration to me. You're a leader for me. What I see on social when we meet together, you're on one of our boards. You are just an absolute inspiration to me. And so I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Your generosity, your wisdom, your courage is inspiring. And so thank you. My name is Lance Lang, and and I I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit about my passion. 
you know, it's a really cool thing when you're, when you find a passion in your life and you can go all in on that. And that's really the gift that God gave me about 10 years ago when I found sobriety. You know, I had come from a long stretch of addiction and, you know, it had been about 15 years from starting when I was 15, 16 years old, smoking marijuana, expanding and, and stretching into different drugs. And we can get into all those different things. But when I found prescription pain pills when I was 25 years old, that's what really took over my life. And in my late 20s, I was able to find sobriety through a series of uh, really incredible interventions and people stepping into my life. And that's when I began to find my passion. And it's kind of morphed into this unbelievable organization that we get to be a part of today. But it really started with understanding that what I had been through, the pain of my past, God actually wanted to use to give me a great purpose and even a platform, I would even say, to help other people. And that platform is Hope is Alive. And as you know, Hope is Alive is impacting now hundreds and hundreds of people all across the country. And just to touch on it real briefly, we have 21 mentoring homes all across the country. And these are homes where men and women, after they go through some type of detox or treatment center, they'll come and transition into our homes and learn how to what we call radically change their life. And that looks like a whole lot of different things from life skill development, spiritual growth, physical development, getting themselves on a professional track, mending fences in their family, clearing up legal issues, all kinds of stuff. But at the end of that 18-month period, their lives are radically changed. And it's just unbelievable the movement that's gone on. And because of a lot of incredible people, including yourself, uh, we've been able to expand now to seven different cities and four states. And so that's a long way to answer who I am, but uh, but there's a little bit about me. I love it. So what's tell me what states, if you could share that with everyone, because mm-hmm. this is this is a tremendous program, you guys, because here's what here's here's what I love about it so much is that many times when addicts are they come out of rehab, they go right into the environment that they left. And you know, our environment plays a huge part of that role in sobriety, your role in going back into the same environment of being around the same people who maybe that wrong crowd and so forth. And so I love the fact that they have a place to go after treatment or detox. And so if you could expand on that. Yeah, we call it people, places and playgrounds, right? And sometimes we need new people, new places and new playgrounds to really build the foundation of our new lives. And whether you're listening and you've gone through addiction or some type of other struggle in your life, depression, loneliness, we're coming out of COVID, there are all kinds of different things that we've gone through. And oftentimes we need to shake up our lives and start over and put ourselves around a new community. And, and that's what Hope is Alive provides. And so our homes are now in North Carolina, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Kansas. And by the end of this year, we'll be in Missouri and Texas as well. And so it's crazy to even put that in words because I, I remember when we started, it was me and five guys in a house here in Oklahoma City to see 200 residents working to change their lives through our through our program today is rather unbelievable. Yeah, and I've, I've actually seen that transition in several people through that have gone through Hope is Alive. So tell me a little bit about, I'm interested in, I know everyone that listening that's listening would be interested too. So once someone goes through the process of rehab, how do they become a part of Hope is Alive? Well, you know, a lot of our relationships with the treatment centers, with detox facilities, hospitals, lawyers, doctors, 
folks that are in criminal justice areas, it, it's kind of a just a re- referral base or word of mouth. And so as they know about us or they've experienced us, even through a church, and they believe that they have a candidate that would be a good a good candidate for us, then it's really as simple as getting on the website, filling out an application, going through the assessment process with our team, and finding a, an open bed. Sometimes that is difficult. This is the need for this service is is mind blowing. We could probably put a house in every state in the country and fill every one of them up with the amount of addiction needs that there are. But uh, that's really as simple as the process is. And and because we have homes all across the country, it is good to be able to sometimes transplant people to a new city and allow them to start over or at least get away for a period of time before they come back to where they want to live maybe for the next season of their life. But that's pretty much as, as simple as the process is. And after eight years of doing this, we work really hard to get the word out because we believe we've found something that's really special and we want to attract those that are really looking to change their lives. And so we'll go on kind of roadshows and, and go to treatment centers and go to prisons and different places and and cast vision for what we believe Hope is Alive can do for an individual's life. And while they're there in that place, in that kind of window of opportunity where they're vulnerable, quite honestly, to what the impact of that next decision is of where they go after they leave, we're really trying to speak life into them and to tell them that they need more accountability. They need more structure. 30, 60, 90 days is not enough, not only to overcome an addiction, but to allow your brain to heal from all the trauma and things that you've experienced. And so uh, that's how we kind of attract. We, we cast vision. Now we we try to inspire people as to what their life could be like if they join. Hope is alive. Well, you're a hope dealer, is what you are. That's right. And, try to be. Yeah. And so, how did you ever in a million years think that that circumstance that you went through, that challenge that you went through with addiction, could ever? Could you ever imagine that it would turn into what it has today? No, I think there's a couple things about it. Number one, I, I used to judge it. I don't know if anybody listening can relate to that. I used to judge people that were addicted, maybe not verbally, but in my head, you know, and in my heart. I would look down upon those that had struggled with addiction or those that struggle with depression or any type of addiction, sexual eating, gambling, anything like that. It's such a, an interesting dichotomy to, to realize in that moment that the person that you used to judge is actually the person that's looking back in the mirror. That's what happened to me for for so long. I didn't understand it. And then all of a sudden I found myself right in the middle of it. And then from that place of judgment, I ended up eventually feeling a lot of shame myself. I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about it. Quite honestly, I tell people all the time, I had long since stopped having fun (laughs) using drugs or alcohol. I was not experiencing a lot of joy. In fact, I was experiencing bondage. I was a slave to the addiction. And so the shame that was on me was unbelievable. And so when I finally kind of stumbled my way into a treatment center in April of 2011, what began to change in me is I I began to hear other men share stories that were very similar to mine. They talked like me. They looked like me. They had pain like me. They had shame like me. And I began to find hope right there in those first moments when I realized that simple truth that you're not alone. And I think that helped me overcome the shame. And then I'm so thankful. I'm going to talk about God because that's that's my story, but how God allowed me to see in other people the judgment that I had been giving them. And man, my eyes were opened. The scales fell off. I was broken realizing where I was in life. And, and that really changed so much about me. So it's a long way to answer your question, but I never thought that 
all of that that I had walked through could be used for any good. I mean, I'll just be honest with you, Dan. I, I was so addicted. I couldn't go to the mailbox without taking a pill. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't spend an hour. I mean, I was so hooked. And so to be able to, if I can string it together another couple of weeks, get to April 27th and have 10 years of sobriety, I can't even wrap my mind around what that even means. It's crazy. Congratulations. No, thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to divert back to something that you said that I think is super powerful. And that is the labels and the judgment that we, we have on addiction. So part of the process of me writing this book is really to explain to people what as an addict myself going through that process of the emotional trauma, et cetera, but it's the labels and the judgment that society has on people who have addictions. I would love to hear your take on, yeah. on that side of it, the labels. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, first off, you got to understand where I grew up and how I grew up in small town, Oklahoma, Baptist pastor parents who made, I was, I was a guy that made all the wrong choices. I was a rebellious PK. I lied. I cheated. I stole had girlfriends, plural. I mean, I, I made all the wrong decisions. And I mean, I carried so many labels. And I'll be honest with you, at one point, instead of feeling the judgment of the labels, I almost like rebelled and accepted the labels. So either way, it's not good, but that's how painful and I think traumatic labels can be. And I think we've come a long way in society in, in not judging addicts or even those that have mental health struggles all the struggles of the world, we're a whole lot better about labeling and bullying than we used to be. But you know, kind of speaking broadly, our generation that grew up during a lot of that, I think we feel a lot of trauma left over. And we've got a lot of stuff to deal with because of the way that we felt judged and labeled. I was a bad kid label. I was a drug addict label. I was divorced. I was an absent father label. I carried all these things well into my 20s. I can't tell you what it did to me. I mean, it's taken me years and years of therapy and, and a lot of spiritual growth to be able to overcome it. But they're a really painful, tormenting thing to live with. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of, of someone who has an addiction, mine was, is alcohol. Wine is what my drug of choice was. And I did not grow up a preacher's kid. Mm -hmm. Quite the different upbringing for sure. Very, very insecure home life. Unstable is just a slight word that I would use. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people, and I would love to know what you hear, what you think about this, but a lot of people, I think it keeps them from coming to terms with their addiction because they don't want the label. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's the most powerful thing. I'm so glad you asked me that. I can remember the first 30 days of treatment. And understand, I am a full-blown addict, right? 50 pills a day. I'm swooped up out of my office. I'm intervened on. I was a functioning addict, so I still had a job. And I'm thrown out in the middle of nowhere in this 90-acre horse ranch. I'm a city boy. I have no idea what's going on with me. I have no education of what an addict is, what the AA is, what recovery is. I mean, it was like listening to a brand new language. I had no idea. And for them to explain what it meant to be an addict and why I had been the way that I was, instead of it being a negative label, it actually helped me understand who I was. 
I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it was almost freeing in a sense of realizing this is why I make the choices that I make. I'm not a bad person, right? I'm not a morally corrupt person. I am someone who has a disease of alcoholism. For some people, they don't like the label of an alcoholic or drug. That's fine. But for me, the label of have someone who having a disease, that helped me understand because like I said, I was tired of doing this. I wanted to quit. I didn't want to wreck people's lives anymore. I didn't want to take 50 pills a day. I didn't know how to stop. Truly just had no understanding of how to quit. My parents didn't know what to do. My friends didn't know what to do with me. So when I realized that there was something literally wrong from an illness standpoint and that I carried over so much of a predisposition through my family genetics, it provided proper education to a medical disease, not a judgmental description to a moral sin. Yes, I love it. But you know, it's interesting because when it comes to drug and alcohol addicts, there is, I think there's a different, people think differently in society about drug and alcohol, Mm -hmm. but there's other addicts as well. Yeah. There's sex addicts. There's gambling addicts, there's food addicts, Mm -hmm. there's television addicts, there's sports addicts. I mean, we all have something Mm -hmm. that we're using to not feel the pain of some sort of trauma that that we're experiencing. But I think it's the labels and the quote judgment, as you say, is, is much harder on people who have drug and alcohol issues. Without a doubt, you know, our issues, and I'm speaking collectively since since you were speaking about what you went through, our issues get us locked up and on the on the front page of the paper and, and kind of the, the community things that you don't want. Other people's addictions sometimes even are rewarded, like workaholism, mm-hmm. which frankly mm-hmm. I, I struggle with today. But those things can be rewarded or that fan can be flamed. A lot of people struggle with addictions in, in different areas, and I think we're all trying to work on balance, right, in our lives. And for me, before I found even drugs and alcohol, I was an obsessive compulsive person to begin with. And I was always kind of looking for something to change the way that I felt. And if I don't find the proper coping mechanisms today and work the program that I've worked for 10 years, I'm a few choices away from going back to pills, back to alcohol. And it might first look like work and then sex and then shopping or something else. But I promise you, if I keep trying to change the way that I feel, I will find myself back to that pill bottle. I love that. So good. Mm. I don't love that you'll find yourself back, but I love that it's, you know, we're one one choice away. So what are some of the healthy ways that you use? I'm I'm with you on the workaholic. I can easily stay in my office until eight or nine in the evening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's been a big balance for me because I've found my passion and as I know you have as well. And so it's really easy to, again, justify that uh, what we're doing is good and just and it's producing a living and those things. But if I'm not careful, that workaholism will find its way into me and I become just the kind of person that I was drinking and drugging, but I'm clean and sober. And by the way, Mike, I have an incredible wife who will help me kindly remind me when that when that tends to happen. And in, in kind of the recovery terms, you'd call that a dry drunk, right? They're not drinking, but they're still acting like they are. And for probably people listening to this, the struggle with work, you could probably find yourself in that where you're irritable, discontent, unhappy, doing what you love, but there's no joy. 
And I think we've got to, I know for me, I've got to find ways to get away. I've got to plan ahead to make sure I've got ample time off because I need to be rejuvenated. My cup needs to be filled up. I need to travel. These are things that have really helped me. But as far as like the baseline stuff, this is probably one of the most helpful things, quite honestly, is telling my story. You know, and I tell my story, I already told it three times today. I had a breakfast meeting and told it, I had a lunch meeting and told it, and here I am again. And that right there, that social accountability of letting the world know this is who I am. This is what I've struggled with. And now that you know more about me, you can help me by putting me in the right environments. And hopefully just by the little bit that you know, you'll care a little bit about more of me and make sure that I'm doing the right things. And I think that's kind of what we're doing today with this podcast. Awesome. I love it. Are there other ways that you keep yourself in check besides telling your stories, exercise, eating well? I mean, what are some some things that Lance Lang does? Yeah. You know, for me, I go to a, an AA meeting every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. with about 10 guys. So I'm a gender specific recovery guy. And that means that I don't do a whole lot of things when it comes to recovery with, with females. So I, I want to be around people I can trust and they can trust me. I have a few accountability partners, if you will, that are close to me in as far as sobriety length goes. And so we meet regularly and kind of keep each other in check. I try to work out four times a week. You saw my goal list at the first of the year. So I have goals for weight loss. I have goals for running. Running has been an incredible part of my recovery. I'm not like a crazy long distance runner or a fast runner, but if I can get a couple miles, you know, three or four times a week, and I'm an after work kind of runner, it allows me to decompress before I step back into the home life. Um, I'm a much better person if I've had a couple miles to run and really kind of let things go. It's also where I read books. Obviously, I'm not reading when I'm running, but I'm listening. I'm a big audio book guy, and so I listen to a lot of books as well. I'm, I'm obviously super spiritual, so I'm in church on the weekends, if not several times, listening to sermons throughout the week. I try to get up and get in the Word, read the Bible through the year. So those are just a few of the other things that I do. Yeah, great. Just like just like anyone else. That's right. right. Just 100%. trying to better themselves in, in any particular way. It's that constant, yeah, you have to have that downtime. You have to have that time to be still and allow God's word to com- come in and mm-hmm. so that you can hear him for sure. I was recently having having a struggle with writing a certain chapter. I just felt the Lord telling me, Deanna, just be still for a minute. Just be still. <laughs> and sure enough, that's all it took. And then the words yeah. just started coming. But it's, I think as a society in general, we have a hard time being still, especially if you have our personality types where we are wanting to constantly do for others and breathe life into other people. You are such a joy. Like I know, mm. I knew your story. Mm. And I've heard your story many times, but I've never, we've never really, when we first met, I don't think you were that open about this particular struggle. Yeah, no, I I think the more time I've gotten, the more public my stuff is, I just have less and less to hide. And I feel like I have to be incredibly, almost ferociously vulnerable because if I am not rigorously honest with you and whoever whether it's five people listening or five million people listening, if I'm not rigorously honest, then I am being dishonest to myself. And that's one small step in the wrong direction. And I'll tell you what, one little lie for me will lead me back to that bottle with about 15 more lies. I mean, I just have to be 
ferociously vulnerable. This is who I am. This is what I struggle with. I can't do this. I can't be around this environment. And I think I, I want to keep so much of what God's allowed me to, to build and to be a part of in my personal recovery. I want it to keep it so bad that I have to work even harder. You would think at like 15, 10, 15, 5, 10, 15 years, you'd get the ability to step away from that. But I think we should be even more intentional because the enemy wants to take us down when you're a part of life change on the scale that he's allowed us, God's allowed us to be a part of, I feel the enemy all the time. And so does my wife. And so maybe I've just got an extra passion and zest right now because I'm so fired up about maybe this 10 year mark and what God's doing through hope is alive. And quite honestly, listening to what you have to say today and how big of a step this is for you as well. And you know, I want to applaud you for that because getting ferociously vulnerable is tough and it's scary but I believe you'll walk out of this even more stronger in your walk in, in sobriety and faith by being willing to share it. What do you think about that? Well, this, thank you. This is the, <laughs> the book is like absolutely my complete vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, through this walk, the book has not turned out to be the way that I thought it would turn out to be, you know, because God always has the better plan. And he has called me to be super vulnerable in this book. And anytime you you do something like book writing or podcasting, or there's always a deadline, there's always a goal, right? Mm-hmm. And I haven't followed that deadline because it what God, it's God's timing in what he needs to say through this. So it's, it's ultra vulnerable, but thank you for, for saying this on this podcast. There are many people who know my background, but podcast do not. And the reason yeah. why I want people to know, Lance, it's just like you. Yeah, There are people that look just like you and me. Mm-hmm. It may not be drugs. It may not be alcohol, but it may be something else. And I know and feel the struggle that you're feeling. Yeah, There's a better way. There's a better way to experience joy. Was there a time where you were uh, more bashful, scared is not the word, but maybe hesitant to share your story? Are you interviewing me now? I'm just curious. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. Absolutely. You know, I think I, I think the biggest thing for me, because I am so public in everything that I do, I am I'm also a recovering people pleaser and mm. worried about what other people thought of me was huge. And I'm not saying that I don't go into that role at times because it definitely does trigger me at times. And I do feel the the judgment or the, the desire to people, please. But I'm just like you, Lance. It's like, I'm so laser focused on staying healthy. I have to work through that thought and hold it captive immediately. Wow. Well, I want to applaud you because I'd never heard you say that before. Man, I would never know it about you because I see you as someone who inspires me to be more bold and for lack of a better term, not giving a rip about what people think. You know, I watch you, I know you, and like you are really bold and I think confident. It's a God confidence that you share and carry with you that, you know, you've been called to the work you do and to inspire people and to lead people and to help them to create their business and to grow their business and all those things. And, you know, I don't think you'd be as successful as you were if you hadn't recovered through that people pleasing, number one, because people want to follow a bold, vulnerable leader. Mm-hmm. And so, but I, I never have heard you say that. And 
I need to do 12 steps of recovery, people pleasing myself. <laughs> that's a, that's a huge thing as leaders. It's a that huge thing. It really yeah. is. And I, I'm on the edge of overcoming some of that, but I'll tell you, honestly, I've had a season the last six months, whether it's COVID or the infertility stuff that my wife and I are going through where I have really got myself caught in a couple of people pleasing situations. And that'll take you down mentally and emotionally just as quick as anything else. Yeah. Lance, this is like a huge, huge passion of mine is being able to walk people through that particular trigger because we all have triggers that trigger mm-hmm. certain emotions and we take, we're kind of taken away from who we are created to be in God to who we think we should be in the world, right? Yes. And so how do you walk through that trigger and I'm telling you through this book, God has taught me how to walk through and oh, wow. figure that trigger out. I got to get this book. Can I get an advanced copy, please? Well, I need, I need not, this book. I'm not going to teach you how to walk through it in the book, but I would love to teach you how to uh, walk through it one-on-one. It's pretty cool how you can see, gosh, this thought, where where did that come from? And then you track it back and you realize mine, my triggers are fear of abandonment and not enoughness just from trauma of, of, you know, my childhood. Mm -hmm. And I know those things aren't true because I've never been alone. That's right. God has walked me through every phase of my life and not in a condemning judgmental, but in a very loving, nurturing, Deanna, let's get back up. Mm -hmm. Come on. Wow. Grab my hand. Let's, let's, let's get back up. And so I know those triggers, those emotions aren't true. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're in a really tough place in in society because as fortunately, as soon as we bring up this phone, a lot of those triggers are waiting to stare right back at our face in the forms of social media. And I'm not going to go on that tirade. Everybody knows the, the struggles with social media, but to our point right here, this laser focus point, and what I've struggled with is sometimes we're hurt most by those closest to us. And when the social media is filled with those people, they're constantly triggering that pain point. And that's what I've been walking myself through here recently. And we never talk about going into this, but I think it's really relevant to the world that we're living in and certainly relevant to what I've been working through over the past six months. There's always new seasons. There's always new things. Yeah. But whether it's social media or the work stuff or whatever it might be. I just know in this 10 year journey of sobriety, there's always something else I'm working through. I mean, I've never arrived. Thank goodness. There's always another kind of hill or mountain to climb. And right now it's that. I think if there's leaders listening, and I know there are a lot, it's there's walking through those places where those that you led and you helped and you inspired to climb mountains themselves, turn around and hurt you you know, how do you work to overcome that as well? And all those things are pain points and triggers that can get us off track. Absolutely. So how do you work through that? I need a one-on-one coach. (laughs) I tell you what, I mean, for me, I have been in, and I don't mind sharing, like I'm not perfected. I, I have a lot of room to grow, but what I have been trying to do recently is literally take it captive. Meaning, I mean, I'm praying, if not out loud, for these people and trying to ask God to bless these people and please, God, take them out of my mind. Help me not to be focused on them right now. I know it's a distraction, Deanna. I know what's going on. 
Hope is Alive and how God's using my story is helping so many people. I can't even believe it. But I know the enemy hates that. And so I know he's trying to find all these little ways that if I step back with perspective and look at it, I can almost laugh. It's so comical, like what he's trying to do, but yet I can get sucked into it. And so I'm trying to take it captive, trying to pray about it. And then lastly, I'm trying to have very intentional, honest conversations with my wife every night about this struggle and telling her, she'll ask me, how are you doing with this person or that person? And I'll just tell her, you know, today I had a really good day or today I really obsessed about it and it wasn't good. And so just trying to get really real with somebody and, and not lie to myself that I'm thinking about it. I can lie to myself really quickly when I know what I'm struggling with. So. I want you to know, I do not have this perfected by any means. I mean, clearly, I just want to make it clear to everybody that is <laughs> that is listening, because it's still, I mean, that that people pleasing and, and being concerned about what other people think is, it's definitely a part of all of our journey. But, you know, the word that keeps coming to me the last, the last few days is actually not the last few days, probably the last couple of weeks is Deanna, just be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. That is all that we're here for. And is to constantly, just like you said, constantly working on becoming better. And that's what we're called to do, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And it's it never ends until death. That's right. That's right. <laughs> there will always be something. God has put people in my life to intentionally rub me, to grow me. <laughs> uh, I needed to hear that. That's good to hear. Yep intentionally rub me to grow me. And I also believe that until I grow through that rub, yep, he's going to continue to put people that will rub me the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm experiencing that. And I know that we'll get to another place and there'll probably be something else that's rubbing and pushing us to grow. And this is just the season that I'm binding myself in. I appreciate you asking me about it because I, I want to be more transparent and vulnerable with it. Because I know that a lot of people struggle with this. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, so much of our second phase of our program, as you know, is all about codependency and and really what that is and, and overcoming that. And so I've got the best coach in the world and my wife. I mean, she's the codependency guru. And so I get to talk to her about it a lot. But that's a lot of what we're doing even within the program because I believe underneath alcoholism and drug addiction, there is, just like you talked about, that level of codependency, people-pleasing. And that's kind of what led us to use in the first place. And so we like to work ourselves back through the layers of the onion to the core person that God created. And and I'm kind of right there back on on one of those layers right now needing to, needing to do some serious work on it. This conversation is truly anointed because a lot of what you are saying and being so vulnerable about are things that I have been working through myself Mm -hmm. in different varying levels. And what God has shown me through a lot of different circumstances is, Deanna, people are reacting based on their own trauma. If we can see that person through eyes of the trauma that they are reacting to, because that's their reaction. That's right. Because the only reaction that we should have, any of us should be love, right? But because we have so much trauma, we are seeing this world through lenses of our own particular traumas. That's right. And that kind of helped me work through a lot of the different stuff that that you're talking about when people turn away. 
Well, that's that's really helpful for me. You're, you're helping me a lot, and hopefully we're helping some people because we both know and have done enough work on ourselves to have gone back and recognized when that big T or little T trauma hit our lives. And I can tell you about you know being 18 and, and finding out I got a son on the way or feeling bullied at, at 15 or being fired at 28 unexpectedly from a job that I love. You know, all those little things produce the the tease the traumas in our lives and i need to be reminded that i'm not special or unique everybody's dealing with that but we're so myopic i mean it's just all about us all the time and i am preaching to myself i do think we forget that and we want to put a, a level of judgment or not choose to see through the filter of other people that we're seeing through ourselves, if that makes sense. We're not choosing to see what other people are walking through, but we're walking through our own stuff. That's really, really important. Anybody that's leading other people needs to to be cognizant of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it, it helped me walk through some of that and see people through a different set of eyes and actually forgive in ways that I've never been able to forgive. It's a miracle, really. Well, that's where the, that's where the freedom is. It's mm-hmm. on the other side of, of that forgiveness. And we know that verbally, mentally, it's getting it to our heart to say, I'm ready to do it. Because I I can't tell you how many people over the years I've had to forgive. I mean, you don't live in sobriety if you don't have, if you've not forgiven a lot of people (laughs) and and most importantly ourselves. Yet I will go six months and completely forget the whole thought of forgiveness. I just believe this is an anointed conversation because one of the things that's really helped me is about every three to six months, I'll do something pretty wild just to shake myself up, whether it's going to a sweat lodge, whether it's going to a psychotherapy weekend, whether it's going to climb a mountain. And for me, I need adventure, separation. I need to see God in another place. And what it does is it's that perspective shift. Yes. And that is what I got in treatment. That is what I got by living and starting Hope is Alive and living in the house for three years and having hundreds of roommates of all kinds of different backgrounds and varieties, constantly a different perspective shift. My point is that this is what we have not gotten in the past 12 months of COVID. Right. This is why I think I'm struggling a little bit, and I'm sure there's other people struggling as well. We've missed the opportunity to change our perspective. We've missed the connection of other people. We've picked up poor habits along the way, and I don't know. I feel like I'm speaking to somebody right now who's probably on the other side of COVID saying, I don't want to be this person, but something's happened to me, and I've become this person through one choice one day at a time, and maybe the idea of changing your perspective, getting out, talking vulnerably with somebody. Maybe somebody listening needs to start seeing a counselor, Mm -hmm. needs to get away needs to just get really real with somebody. Maybe it's your husband or your wife, but I just think this is such an important conversation because I just would be the first one to raise my hand and say, COVID quarantine messed me up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it did. The connection and and not being able to go anywhere just to to release. I mean, it was, yeah, 24-7. However, I did enjoy spending time with my husband and, and so forth. That was awesome. But just being able to be away from him for a little while, right? We just, we need that a little hey, bit of space. Just because we want to get away doesn't mean we don't love him. Okay? That's right. So I, I love my wife. She cooked a mean set of chicken dinners for about 45 straight days in the, in the quarantine. It was amazing. We had a great time, 
but our lives, God did not create us to live in that environment. And that's such a blessing that he created us to live in connection and community with other people. And obviously nobody believes it more than me. I mean, I've created through God's help, this community of 200 people living in these homes because I believe so strongly in what happens when you're truly seeing somebody every day and you're talking vulnerably and transparently. And I, I was removed from that, not only COVID, but our infertility stuff kept us away from people for a while. And I'm on the other side. Thank goodness. It feels like the sun's shining again. Uh, spring has sprung. There's some new things happening. And now's the time I want to encourage everybody Get back out there. Get back into your old rhythms. Try to reconnect with those people. Create some new ones, by the way. But let's get back out there and live a little bit. We all need it. Thank you so much, Lance. I appreciate you so much. This has mm-hmm. been a great conversation. Just in closing, what's next for you? What's I know you've got some big goals. What's next? I do. Absolutely. Thank you for asking me. I'll touch on a couple Real quickly, um, first off, we're, my wife and I have been trying to have a, a child, a baby, um, and so that's hopefully what's next. So that's like the most important thing in our lives. And so if you're following us on social media or anything, I'll be looking for that. Hopefully God allows that to happen soon. But I am coming up on my 10th year of sobriety, and so I've been writing a book as well. And that book's going to come out on, I think, like June 23rd of 2021, and that's going to be called 10 Years Sober. And I'm going to share kind of all the main lessons that I've, I've learned along the way, some really cool stories, some amazing stories of folks that have come through our program, and just the big kind of meaty lessons that I've taught to our residents over the year. I just, just took the best 10, and I talk a whole, a whole lot about those. And so that's coming up. And then Hope is Alive, we're not slowing down. We're about to open 20 more homes in the next four years. So we opened 20 in eight years. We're about to try to double that in half the time. So 20 more homes by 2025. It's an audacious God-sized goal, which is exactly where we want to be, only where he can make it happen. And we know there's a ton of incredible people like yourself that are out there helping to make this happen that are so a part of this story. It's a God story. And one day when we get in heaven, we're going to have people coming up to us and say, hey, you never met me, but I was in the North Carolina house. And because of your support, I got to get sober and I got to go out and find my wife or my husband and start a life. And here's my kids. And I, I mean, I believe it to be true that one day um, we'll get to see every one of these stories come true. That's amazing. So proud of you, Lance, and so proud to be a friend of yours and just the impact that you have in my life. You have no idea what you, just watching you and seeing what you're doing is such an inspiration. So you're a huge part of my sobriety for sure. Thank you so much for being a guest. You have inspired thousands. I'm Aww. telling you that. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, for sure. If anybody wants to get off, get in touch with Hope is Alive, is it just a hopeisalive.net? Net. That's okay. it. Hopeisalive.net. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of this incredible community that has been formed through this podcast. If you have not had the opportunity to subscribe to this podcast, that would mean the world to me. And if you would rate and review, give me five stars if that's what you think in this podcast has added some value to you. And it would mean the world to me if you would share this with family and friends. By the way, I have a private Facebook group. It's a group of amazing women who encourage each other, empower each other to be the greatest versions of themselves. 
I do little teachings, trainings, etc. And I would love for you to be a part of that. If that is something that intrigues you, you can go to deannaheron.net and request to be a part of Deanna's Diamonds. And as always, follow me on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. Most of the topics that you hear about on this podcast come from you, the listeners. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. Have an amazing week.